Let's open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 this morning. If you recall, the last several weeks we've been looking at uh, the churches of Revelation. These churches, you know, uh, Ephesus and uh, Smyrna and Thyatira, Pergamos and Philadelphia, these seven churches that Jesus had dictated letters to John to give to these different churches and also to, for those churches to read them to one another so that every, every letter to every specific church was also meant to be read by the other churches as well. In the last several weeks, we've been looking at those seven churches, and that really comprised chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And if you recall, these churches also, uh, not only were they physical local churches in Asia Minor in the first century, after Jesus had died on the cross, after he was resurrected, after he ascended into heaven, uh, we know that these churches were there at that time, and, and they grew in these different cities in Asia Minor as the gospel was being spread. And Jesus had something very specific to say to each one of these seven churches, uh, things that were uh, commendations and also rebukes, things they weren't doing well, and every one of us who is online today, and everyone else in the church, uh, we can look at these things, and, and all these seven letters, we can look at them, and, and, and one of these things, or several perhaps, really uh, are meaningful to us, because if we're honest with ourselves, there's going to be areas that we're going to look at, you know, in these letters that we have looked at, that uh, pertain to us, that pertain to me. And it's meant to do that, but it's also... Uh, the Lord, I believe, wrote these churches, wrote to these churches in a specific order, and He chose these specific churches as also exemplifying or being examples of the church throughout the church age. Now, remember, the church age began at Pentecost uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and uh, poured out upon the Jews actually in Jerusalem and, and many who had come from different areas. And so the church really began and they, the first members of the church were Jewish. And so from that moment, the church was born and until the rapture of the church, which is yet future to us, hopefully today, <laughs> um, that period of time is known as the church age, and that's really what these two letters comprise is the church age. And each one of these churches really speaks pretty uh, interestingly to different periods in church history all the way up to the return of Jesus to, to rapture the church. And so that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And then um, we finally get into... Uh, chapter 4. And so let's go ahead and read chapter 4. We're probably only going to go through the first verse today, and that may sound like a, a funny thing, but there is so much in these two chapters, and especially as we begin chapter 4, there is a doctrine that we need to discuss because it's the very next thing on the prophetic calendar, and that is the rapture of the church itself. And so let's go ahead and read chapter 4, and then we're going to go back and look at it. And, and again, uh, just so we have the context, let's just read the entire chapter. It's only 11 verses. So John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices." And seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, 
The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall, fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and you will, and by Your will they exist and were created they were created what a wonderful scene that we have here of the throne room of god and these living creatures you know there's something about these two chapters specifically chapter 4 and chapter 5 that are really wonderful because they really it really speaks of worship uh, in heaven and it's kind of interesting the way um, uh, that the book of revelation is is laid out and we're going to get to that shortly but the fact that God puts this, this view of heaven in chapters 4 and 5 before the great tribulation on the earth begins is really wonderful because it's, it's sort of like a pause uh, in the activity and, and the Lord gets our eyes off of the things of the earth because up until this point, Jesus has been writing letters to physical churches on the earth. And when we begin at chapter 4, and I'll explain this as we go, that this is really where the church is raptured. And I'll explain that, and it will be very clear to you before we're done today, at least I hope. And so this is where the church is, is raptured, and then the church is taken up, and uh, now the whole perspective of everything changes from the earth. Now it's in glory. It's in heaven where the throne room of God is. And then we're going to see, uh, and, and that's really chapters 4 and 5. And in chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus uh, being given. He was the only one worthy to open a scroll that God the Father had on the throne. And as Jesus takes each one of these, this, the seven seals on this scroll, as he begins to unravel these things, judgments are going to take place on the earth. And these are judgments that are going to take place very literally, and they're going to happen exactly as the Bible has said. And it is yet future to us, folks. You have to understand that because if we look at everything that's going around in our world today, there is something going on. And if, you're, if you've even got blood growing through your, going through your veins and you're breathing, you understand that things are ramping up. Things are changing very rapidly. In fact, Jesus spoke of this in, his, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24. He's, Jesus said that in, as we approach the end, that there will be hallmarks, things that are going to happen that are going to be very obvious. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be famine. And certainly we're seeing the pestilence. It's always been there. We've seen Ebola. And now we have this thing. And what's going to be next? We don't know. But he said there's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. And they're going to increase with frequency like a woman who is going through childbirth. And any woman who has gone through childbirth, I witnessed it with my own wife, is that it starts off very slow. And as she gets close to giving birth, those contractions, those pains, those spasms, they get more intense and they get more frequent and until the baby is born. Until the baby is born. And we are seeing that, folks, before us. If, you, if you're honest and you look at things, you can see how things are graduating. They're graduating and pretty soon the Lord is going to return for the church. And there are a lot of scoffers who say, this is a bunch of nonsense. Well, they can think what they want because guess what? My opinion is, is based on the Word of God. My opinion is based on what Jesus said. And what is their opinion? What is your opinion? Is your opinion based on what you feel? Maybe what you've read in an article on the New York Times or, or some magazine? All of that means nothing. 
It means nothing. You can bet your life on this book because this book is the only one. In fact, in the Psalms it says, the Lord speaking, he says, I have placed my word above all of my name. That means everything in here, God has placed this above all of his name. Do you have confidence in this? Can you have confidence in the word of God? I think you can if he said that. If he said that, we could bet our whole life on it. And you know what? There are many people in history who have given their life for the word of God because they know what is true. And when the, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and he comes in you and you're a true Christian, all of these things become so obvious. I don't know about you, but as I look around in the world that we're living in today, there are so many things that are screaming the things that Jesus had spoken of. We are literally living at the end. We don't know the day or the hour when Jesus will return for the church, but rest assured, he is gonna return for the church. And then what, what happens at that point is in chapter 6, as he begins to open these scrolls, these judgments are going to come out upon the earth, and the man of sin is going to be revealed, who we know as the Antichrist, which we're going to be getting into as we get further into the book of Revelation. But rest assured that these things are coming. They're coming, folks. And where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where is your life? What is it wrapped up in? I would encourage you to get your focus on Jesus Christ. Get your eyes and your heart focused on the Word of God. Learn everything you can and read the Bible. Read the Bible. There's nothing else that we have that is more trustworthy. Everything else is fake news, but this is not fake news. This is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, and no one comes unto the Father except through me, he said. Okay, so this is important for us. And for us to be in the book of Revelation at this time in history is so wonderful because, because we are at the end. It's kind of interesting how we just happen to land. As you know, we, we, we go systematically through the Bible. We started in the book of James when I, uh, two years ago nearly, uh, when I first started uh, two years ago. We started the book of James, and we're also starting in the Old Testament. And so we've been going through the Old and the New Testament systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And now we land on the book of Revelation here in the midst of all of this turmoil and the things that are happening. Believe me, the things that are happening now are prophetic. They're getting closer and closer. Read Matthew chapter 24 because it speaks about Jesus' second coming and the events leading up to the second coming physically on the earth. And let me just say this, there is a difference. Don't be fooled by what the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. They're two separate events. One is Jesus uh, coming to the, and meeting us in the clouds, and we are raptured up to him. But seven years later, we know Jesus is coming back to the earth after the rapture occurs. And everything that happens in that seven-year period is what we're going to be reading about in Revelation 6 through 19. It speaks specifically of all hell breaking out on earth as God judges the earth for their lack of, uh, of their spurning His only means of salvation and the man of sin coming upon the earth. And God is going to judge an unbelieving world that has rejected Jesus Christ. Yes, He's going to punish and judge a world that has rejected his son. And so I want to be found knowing his son, and I know him, and I pray that you do too, because God is a loving God, and anyone is able to come to him, but you've got to come to him on his terms, and they're not grievous. They're easy terms. All we have to do is believe in what he did. He did all the work. All we had to do is, is believe. He's done all of that for us, so we don't, all we have to do is believe. I think that's a pretty good thing for us, right? And so the opportunity is there for us. And, and again, I've I, I got to ask you, what, what, what are you going to choose? What are you gonna, what, how are you going to choose? Who are you going to choose? Is there anybody worthy? <laughs> There's only one who was worthy, Jesus Christ. And you know what? His love for you is beyond imagining. His love for you is so great, folks. And there are some of you that are online today. I don't know who you are, but there are some of you I know that are still struggling with this relationship with the Lord. And I want to encourage you today, make that decision. It's, just be, it's between you and Him. It has nothing to do with your involvement with Calvary Chapel. This is about you and God. And wherever you go to church after that is, is your business, um, no matter where you're at in the country, no matter where you're at in the world. It's up to you. But you know what? Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He, he cannot change. 
But he loves you and me, and he paid the price for you and I. He's the only one who could, and he did that. And so, after reading this chapter in chapter 4, we see this scene in heaven. And again, the events on the earth are taking a pause. The, The church age, as far as the book of Revelation is concerned, is the church age is over and the church has been raptured. That's what happens at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. The church is removed from the earth. And we know that because the, 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 the way the book of Revelation is laid out is in that fashion. And we're going to get to that. Let's look at, go back to the very first verse and take a look at some things. Notice the, the very title of the message this morning was, After These Things. And I titled that because of the very first three words that we have in this, uh, in this chapter. It says, After these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, after these things is a very interesting phrase. Uh, These two words in the Greek literally are meta-tauta, meaning after is meta, these things, or this thing. Tauta is the word. So meta-tauta, these two words together, these two words together. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, why is this really a big deal? Well, turn with me back to chapter 1 again, because back in chapter 1 and verse 19, we have the outline of the book of Revelation. Just like a table of contents of a book, Jesus is no different. Those who say the book of Revelation can't be understood, yes, there's a lot of things that we don't understand yet, because when we get into the Revelation 6 through 19, we're going to be talking about things that we, we can't quite understand yet, but they're nonetheless there. But notice, in the table of contents, and it's written for us in verse 19. What does it say in verse 19? We read this when we first started. Jesus, speaking to John, he says, Write the things which you have seen, notice the first thing, and the things which are, which are the second thing, and the things which will take place after this. After this. Now, the things which you have seen, so we have three different sections to the book of Revelation. The first section is the things which you have seen, and John recorded that for us, and it was basically an unveiling of Jesus and his glory, and we see that in the first chapter in verses really 12 down through 18, roughly. We see Jesus in his glorified state, so he did, he wrote that. That was the first section. And the second section of the, of the book, is write the things which are. And the things which are are chapters 2 and 3, which comprises the church age from, uh, from Ephesus to the, La- the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And so, and then notice what he says. And also write the things, look at verse 19 there in chapter 1. It says, and write the things which take place after this. That phrase after this is metatauta, the same two Greek words that occurred. And so when he gives us this in chapter or in verse 19, excuse me, the, the very next time that it occurs in the book of Revelation is right here at the beginning of chapter 4. So now we are going to see the things which will take place after this. What after this? What is he talking about? After the church age? Because we just discussed the church age. We discussed uh, chapters 2 and 3 where it talked about these seven churches that comprise the church age. And so these are literally the, 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 the next two words. Because remember, for those of you who may be new to this, uh, the Bible was, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so if you were to have the Greek scriptures, the, the New Testament in Greek, if you were to have the, the book of Revelation in Greek laid before you, that's exactly what you would read. You would see metatauta. And you would see that in verse 19 of chapter 1. And you'd also see the very next time it happens here. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a divine outline, if you will. So, with this, uh, or these, after these things, after these things. In fact, one of the interesting things about this book that we have before us is... The word for church in the Greek is ecclesia, and that just means called out ones. And the last time we see the church at all is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. It was the very last church that we talked about last week, the church of Laodicea. 
And remember, it says, he who has an ear, Revelation 3.22, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or the ecclesia in the, in the Greek. And the very next time we hear of the church at all, it's at the very end of the book of Revelation, very end of the book. In fact, it's in Revelation 22, verse 16, where it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches, in the ecclesia. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And so now in chapter 4, the vantage point again is no longer with the church on earth, but it is in heaven where Jesus and the raptured church is, where things are eternal and there's no corruption. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Notice that wherever Jesus is in the book of Revelation, that is where the church is as well. And turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 14, because as we look at this uh, doctrine of the rapture, which is one of the most significant doctrines in the Bible, and the one that chapter 4 clearly talks about, and we'll, we'll look at this, after these things, after the church is open, because as it says there in verse 1, a door is going to be opened. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, who was Jesus Christ himself, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place, metatauta, after this. So it's the church. And John, being a representative of the church, because he is part of the church, he is taken up in, in a vision, if you will, and God showing him things that are yet to come. And he wrote them there, why? For our benefit, so that we would understand what's coming, the bigger picture. And, and I don't know about you, but I like the bigger picture. The, the things that happen day to day, I can't know. And only God knows those things. But He is wonderful in the fact that He gives us the bigger picture. And that settles my heart. Doesn't it settle yours too? Even though it's difficult enough as it is, but He gives us these things. Notice what He said to His disciples. Because remember, where Jesus is in the book of Revelation, there's where the church is as well, the raptured church. And where is Jesus in the beginning of chapter 4 here? He's no longer on, he's no longer, he, he was in heaven, but uh, the, the church was on the earth. But now that he is in glory, where is the church now at the, at the beginning of uh, chapter 4 here? They are, he, they are in glory with him. So wherever Jesus is, is where the church is as well. All throughout the book of Revelation, look with me at John chapter 14. Jesus speaking to his disciples. We're just going to look at the first four verses. Jesus in that upper room, the, the night that he was betrayed, the, the night that he was taken unlawfully, this is what he said to his disciples as he told them of his impending death and that he would rise again the third day. And naturally they were very... Uh, disheartened, they were very discouraged. But notice what Jesus said to them as a means of comforting them. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, so he's equating himself with the Father, which is true. He's equal with God the Father, equal with God the Holy Spirit. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions, many places of dwelling. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said these words before he was even crucified, knowing that after he was crucified, 40 days afterwards, he would ascend to his Father. The Bible tells us that. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. And where is Jesus? He's in heaven. And where are we going to become, how are we going to get to him? He's going to bring us up to himself. Isn't that what he said? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And he's in heaven right now. So we know that this is where we are going to go. And does that encourage your heart? I hope it does. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is another pivotal uh, passage of scripture. Uh, concerning the doctrine of the rapture, the teaching of the rapture of the church. This is not a new doctrine. This is something that Paul the Apostle uh, spoke to the, the Thessalonians because we're reading his letter right here back in the first century sometime in around, you know, in the 60s of, you know, 60 AD, 65, somewhere in that area. Um, Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians and notice what he says to them because they were very discouraged because 
uh, they were going through some very hard times, and there were a lot of deceivers back at this time writing letters saying that the rapture had already occurred, and now they were in the tribulation period, spoken by Paul. Um, and of course, Paul told them that they would certainly go through difficulty, but they weren't going through the great tribulation that we're going to be looking at in the book of Revelation, which is even yet future to us. He says, you guys haven't gone through the tribulation uh, because the rapture of the church has not happened. So what does he say? Notice, he says, I, want, I, do, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, now remember, Paul is speaking to them and he's including himself in this letter. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, notice, not this is not Paul's opinion. This is something that Jesus himself revealed to Paul. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, notice the authority here, the word of Jesus, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, those who have died in faith in Christ. For the Lord will himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And notice what happens. Notice the order. The dead in Christ will rise first. It doesn't matter if you've been cremated. It doesn't matter if your ashes have been spread out on the ocean. God knows who you are. He knows your DNA. If he needs it at all, he is able to raise you up and you will receive a new body, one that will last for eternity a body like Jesus had when he rose from the grave that was able to pass through walls and pass through material and be invisible and then show up at other places. Notice that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? On the earth? No, to meet him in the air. Remember where Jesus said, that where I am, you may also be, and I will come and receive you unto myself. This is what he's talking about. And he got this revelation directly from Jesus, Paul the Apostle did. So then, we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And I'd have you underline that word, caught up, in your Bible. It says, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Notice, we will always be with the Lord from this moment onward. Do you understand that? And notice, I love what he says, comfort therefore one another with these words. And I can't imagine a more comforting thing. You know, there is no event on my calendar, there is no event in my life that is more exciting to me than being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Our faith will be complete, our bodies will be changed, we will be in His presence forevermore. And believe me, folks, that is the greatest thing going. If you were able to receive a solid gold automobile that never broke down, that the insurance was paid for and didn't require gas, if you had a solid gold house that was impenetrable by anything, nothing ever broke down, if it was a utopia on this earth, nothing would be compared to meeting Jesus, the one who created all things, who even created the gold. <laughs> I mean, is there really anything that's more exciting than to see him face to face, the one who died for us? I mean, wow. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it? Say amen. <laughs> I can't hear you, but that's okay. I know you're saying it. So notice what it says there, here though, because the word rapture is not anywhere in the Bible. And you may be gasping with horror when I say that, but the word rapture does not, is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why it is and it isn't. The word itself is not there. But notice with me that line, those two words I had you underline, caught up. Because in the original Greek, those words, that word that, that, that is uh, for the word caught up is harpazo. And this word literally needs, means to seize, to be plucked up by violence very quickly. It's not something that's like, oh, cr cradle a baby. No, it's a violent snatching up off of the earth. That's literally what this means, to snatch you away and to change you in the twinkling of an eye as we're going to look at. That's what the word means caught up. Now here's where we get the word the rapture. As we know, the Bible was written in Greek. 
We see this word caught up, literally harpazo. Well, in the 4th century, in 382 to be specific, A.D., there was a gentleman by the name of Jerome who was a, um, a gentleman who actually uh, translated the Greek scripture into Latin uh, for the Catholic Church. They used this as part of their, and they still do, many Latin masses and stuff like that. But he wrote, uh, or he didn't write, he translated the Greek into Latin. And when you get to this verse in Latin, I'm actually looking at the Latin right now on my, in my notes here. That word caught up is rapi or rapi mir. And basically what that means is the same thing. It means to be caught up. And that's where we get our word rapture. Rapture just means to be caught up and taken away. So in the church, when we use this term and everyone looks at us kind of like we're crazy and then they, they get the bright idea of maybe doing a search and they go, aha, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You can say, you're right, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the concept of it is all over the Bible. <laughs> and this is a very clear passage, one of the clearest that speak of this act that's going to happen. The rapture of the church. The rapture uh, may, not be found, um, may not be found in the Bible, but the concept, the action of it, the very act is very clearly shown. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 50, and we're going to look at something else here. Now, you may be wondering to yourself, why should the church be removed if what I'm saying is true, if what the Bible is saying is true, that there is going to be a time of Jacob's trouble. There's a lot to this. We could spend uh, two or three services just on this topic alone very easily. However, why is the church exempt from the difficulty that's coming upon the earth? Because the judgment that God is going to be pouring out on the earth is for those who have rejected him. A world that has rejected his only means of salvation. And the Bible says that God is not, he's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, that's exactly what it says. And that's one of the things the Thessalonians were confused about. Because they were going through difficulty. They thought they were going, they'd been told that they were going through the tribulation. And Paul says, oh no, the, the tribulation hasn't even occurred yet. Because it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. Persecution is different from what's going to happen uh, in the Great Tribulation period. Persecution is what we receive from the hand of man. But during the Great Tribulation, this is going to be uh, trouble that God is going to bring upon the earth. Big difference. The source of the uh, judgment is going to be completely different. But notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, beginning in verse 50, what does it say? He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. In, in other words, this body that we have is going to die. It's going to corrupt. It's going to decay. This corruption does not inherit incorruption. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning not all of us are going to die, but we shall all be changed. And here Paul describes the method, the way in which we are going to be raptured and what it's going to look like. He says, in a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye, and the twinkling of an eye is so quick that it's literally nanoseconds. It happens so quickly, it's, it's done, it's over. And that's exactly how the rapture of the church is going to take place. It's going to be in a moment, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. We just read about that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, verse 17 specifically. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We saw that before in his letter to the Thessalonians. They'll be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, those of us who are alive and remain. For this corruptible, meaning this body of ours, must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That's exactly what happened to Jesus when he rose from the grave. That body of flesh that he had that was physical bone, flesh and bone and blood was now made a different composite, a different material that he could rise through those wraps and they would just collapse on, on, the, on the slab as he would pass through them and pass through the, the, the tomb there in Jerusalem. 
He says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. And here is, he's re, uh, quoting from the Psalms, death is swallowed up in victory. And here's the Psalm. It says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. (laughs) And isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful news? And you know what? Again, chapter 4 and chapter 5. The whole vantage point changes now to the church. Uh, we're, we're in glory, and, and, and we see the worship of God before uh, and the scroll being given to Jesus Christ. And as he unravels that scroll, one, one seal at a time, chapter 6 through the uh, 19, verse 10 of Revelation, we're going to see in successive waves judgments that are going to be poured out. This is a horrible time. The Bible says, Jesus said that if he didn't come back at the end of that, no flesh would survive. That's how bad things are going to get. We think that, you know, 9-11 was bad. We think that this, this coronavirus was bad. It really shook our tree, didn't it? Well, but let me tell you, when God starts to pour out judgment upon the earth and the way he's going to do it and the way it's described there's going to be massive, massive casualties. And every one of these people will have an opportunity, even still, to receive Christ, but it is going to be very, very extremely difficult because of the delusion that's going to come upon the earth at that time. But God, after after the church is removed, He's going to turn His attention to Israel. And Israel, on the earth at that time, is going to be is going to go through these judgments as well, and God's going to preserve a remnant, uh, specifically 144,000 Jews. The Bible tells us, and and then there will come a time after the second coming that all Israel, uh, Paul tells us in Romans 11, that all Israel will be saved, and they will look on Him who they whom they have pierced. They will look on Him for the first time and realize that He did come the first time, that He did die on the cross. Most Jews today don't believe that Jesus came the first time. And so when He comes back the second time in His second coming, their jaws are going to hit the ground and then they are going to, uh, the whole entire state of Israel at that time, Paul tells us that they are going to weep for Him as one who mourns for his only son, and they're going to grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. But I want to encourage you too as we get closer to this because when the church is removed, the church must be removed before the Antichrist, this man of sin. See, nobody likes to talk about the Antichrist, and I don't really either, to be honest with you, but it's in the Bible. There is a man, a one-world ruler that is coming upon the stage of this world And I find it interesting, I just heard from a news source, and I haven't had time to corroborate this, so forgive me, Uh, but I've heard that the G7, the the government, seven seven different nations, recently they're kicking around the idea of opening up to three other nations uh, or or for a, a G10. And it's interesting that as we look in prophecy, that's exactly how many nations um, are going to be at the, at the end, when, when we start getting further into the book of Revelation, we're going to see these ten nations. If that's indeed what's, what's happening and does happen, uh, it's all falling into place. And uh, that's a very interesting thing. But the, the church must be removed because if we weren't removed, we, folks, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He said that to the church. You are the salt of the earth. You are the lampstand. You're the one who, when you come into a room, lights up the room. By you being there, automatically sin is at bay. It doesn't continue further because of your influence, because of the Spirit of God in you. But listen to this. Once we are removed, all hell is going to break loose. It's going to be like a flood of sewage, and it's going to overtake the earth. And the Antichrist and the far... Uh, the far left agenda, which they have, that's going to go through like a steamroller. Do you understand? It's going to be overflowing everything, and there's going to be nothing to stop it. There will be nothing to stop it. In fact, turn with me now to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, because 
This is important for us to understand and why the church has to be removed. If the church is not removed, we're going to be able to identify this man of sin and, and, and the, the judgment that God is going to pour out on him and the earth at that time. Jesus won't allow his church to go through that. Not because she's uh, uh, any better, but she belongs to him. And if you know of a, of a, a husband, uh, any husband would not drag his bride through the mud to purify her. Either the blood of Jesus Christ was efficacious enough to purify us in his blood, or it wasn't. If it is, then why would we have to be purified to go through the tribulation period? There's no evidence of that in the Bible at all. In fact, there are, if time permits, we'll look at a few places in the Bible where there are biblical types that God has placed in the Bible to show us that he does not allow his bride those his chosen, they, they may go through tribulation, but he doesn't allow them to go through what's coming. He's not going to allow them to go through the tribulation. Do you understand? There's a difference. Tribulation is one thing. We go through tribulation just by stubbing our toe, maybe by getting uh, looked over for a promotion. Uh, there are different things that we can go through and be persecuted. I could have a Jesus shirt on and somebody spits on me when they go by. Um, those kind of things are light persecution, right? And, and we all go through that. Those are little small tribulations. But Jesus spoke of the great tribulation. This is a period of time, a seven-year period of time, maybe even more specifically a three-and-a-half-year period of time. But I won't go there for now. But notice what it says in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, Paul is speaking again to this church. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him... We ask you, and so Paul is going to tell them about, they were confused about the rapture of the church. So now he's telling them, uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture in other words, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. When you see the word day of Christ or the day of the Lord in the Bible, it is speaking of a period of time. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Beloved, Peter says, Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So the day of Christ, or the day of the Lord, is actually a period of time uh, from the moment of the rapture of the church, extending all the way to the end of the millennial reign, which is a thousand years. Do you get that? It's the day of the Lord. It, it's at least a thousand years. Probably a, a thousand seven years, because it includes the... Uh, great tribulation period, but notice what he says here. So he says, "Don't be, um, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means." Verse three: For that day will not come, unless. So we know that part of the day of the Lord or the day of Christ, part of that period of time is going to include the second coming of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. See, you're reading it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. This is what the Bible says. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, the Antichrist, who he's speaking of, he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so there is coming a time, we know, during this seven-year tribulation period, which we're going to be reading about, in, again, in chapters 6 through 19, that uh, somewhere in the middle of that, and we don't have time to go into all of this right now, but right in the middle of that time period, the Antichrist, who's just going to be a powerful, charismatic political leader, and he's going to unite the world leaders. Uh, of those ten that we talked about, perhaps, uh, the Bible says that there are going to be ten. Out of all of them, one is going to rise up. He is going to be the one leader, and the world wants a one world leader right now. I know Emmanuel Macron uh, put himself forward as being maybe that guy who would, who would be the leader of the United Nations. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Not naming names, but... Um, so the Antichrist is going to set an image of himself in the temple on Jerusalem, and he is going to, a rebuilt temple, by the way, and he is going to demand to be worshipped. And so he says, and now you know, verse 6, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. 
For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive, notice, the love of the truth. Do you love the truth? I love the truth. These did not receive the love of the truth in the great tribulation period. And God will send, and for this reason, verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And the reason I bring this up, because the one who restrains, who will restrain until he be taken out of the way, nearly everybody agrees on this. Uh, the, the one who's restraining right now is the church. If the church and people who love God and know the Word of God and love morality, they love the truth, they love righteousness, as soon as they are removed in the rapture of the church, guess what? There's going to be no stopping every evil, wicked plan and intention from steamrolling full full steam ahead. It's going to be like a locomotive that's loaded with uranium and has been lit and it's going to fly forward like never before. And so this is what's coming upon the earth. This is what is coming upon the earth. And there is a difference. Uh, Let's see here. We're probably, um, we're not going to get through uh, nothing but chapter one, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Let me just share with you just a couple of quick things, and, and we might even end there. Um, we'll see. There, there's a difference. Now, we've looked at some of these scriptures. They're, they're pretty amazing. But there is a difference, folks, uh, from the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. One has to precede the other. I'm doing this because from your vantage point looking at me, this is on the, from the time frame going you know, from the past going to the future. The rapture has to occur first, and then the, the, the great tribulation period, and then Jesus comes back with us to the earth, to Jerusalem. And right now, we're waiting for that time for the rapture of the church where we'll meet him in the clouds. But then he's going to physically come back after that seven-year period to physically to the earth. Okay. Now, there are two different uh, contrasts of the rapture and the second coming. If we look at the rapture, it, it speaks of the translation or the, 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 the rapture of all believers where our bodies will be changed. In the second coming, there's no translation at all. There's no um, uh, of our bodies being changed. In the rapture, the translated saints go to heaven. In the, in the second coming of Christ, the translated saints, they return to earth. In the rapture, the earth is not judged, but in the second coming, the earth is going to be judged and righteousness established. And the rapture speaks of believers only, but the second coming of Christ, it affects all men. The rapture occurs before the day of wrath, and the second coming physically of Jesus to the earth concludes in the day of wrath. In the, in the, uh, in the rapture of the church, there's no reference to Satan whatsoever, but we know in the second coming that Satan is bound for a thousand years during that, that uh, millennial reign of Christ. He's bound for a thousand years. And also in the rapture, he comes in the air to meet us. We've already read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But in the second coming, he comes to the earth. Turn with me if you would. Now again, we're talking about the second coming physically of Jesus to the earth because I want you to understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming. So now in the rapture, uh, we meet him in the air, but in the second coming, he comes physically to the earth. So look with me at Zechariah chapter 14. This is one of the greatest Old Testament uh, passages. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14. Love this verse. Having been to Israel just recently and, and actually being on the Mount of Olives and overlooking the uh, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and, 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 and standing on the mountain that this is going to occur is just amazing. Notice what it says in Zechariah chapter 14. Now this is a, uh, an Old Testament prophet prophesying of Jesus' second coming physically to the earth. Notice what he says. Behold, the day of the Lord, or the day of Christ, same thing. The day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. 
For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. This is what we call Armageddon. Or, you know, when the Antichrist and all of his forces, they come to Jerusalem to, to wipe Jerusalem out and kill the Jews and everybody in it. He says, For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Notice what it says in verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And this is also recorded for us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, when Jesus physically comes to the earth. And that's exactly what he's speaking of here. He says, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Do you understand that? When he comes back physically to the earth, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and behold it does, been there, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a large valley, and half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And, and actually, in Ezekiel, it talks about at this time that there's going to be a, a fissure of water that's going to come out from underneath the Temple Mount that's going to gush water over the threshold, and it's going to go into the part of it's going to go into the Mediterranean Sea, and part of that water is going to gush down into the Jordan Valley, and the Dead Sea is going to be healed, and it's going to be fresh water, a fresh water place where people will be fishing. That's what's coming. So Jesus will come physically to the earth. And also, when we look at the rapture of the church, it speaks that he claims his bride. And in the second coming, he comes back with his bride. Uh, in Jude, it tells us that, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. An innumerable company, he will come back to judge the earth. That's what it says in Jude. Jesus' half-brother spoke that. And also in the tribula or I'm sorry, in the rapture, excuse me, only those who know Christ will see him. It'll happen like we read in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, only we will see him. It'll happen so quickly, they'll, they'll be, it'll happen so quickly. But when the second coming comes, every eye will see him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at something here. Jesus speaking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, this very place where Jesus was talking about, and Zechariah was talking about, where Jesus, he actually ascended from there, but he's also coming back in the very same place. Notice what it says. Uh, in this chapter, there's a lot to it. We don't have time to go through it. But in verses 15 through 28, Jesus spoke about the Great Tribulation period. But notice what he says in verse 29, the very next verse. He says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will, will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And notice, notice this. It's very critical that you see this. The sign, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then, notice, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the one end of heaven to the other. And certainly there will be another uh, gathering of his faithful remnant at that time. And there's a lot to this. The next chapter actually spells this out a little bit more. But that is a judgment. That is a judgment that Jesus is going to come back. But every eye will see him. Every eye is going to see him. Believe me, CNN is going to be there with their cameras. If CNN is around, I'm sure they will. Uh, they're going to be looking and they're going to see Jesus coming back. And everyone on the planet is going to be able to see him going out their front doors. And they're going to see him coming uh, for those who have rejected Christ. So in the, in the rapture, only his own will see him. But in the second coming, as we've just read, every eye will see him. And in the rapture, the tribulation begins, but in the second coming, the millennial kingdom begins. That's when it begins. And so this is really critical for us to understand. And you know, let's just look at one or two passages, and then we're going to have to call it a day for this. Because I don't know about you, but this is really encouraging. Because as we look at things that are going, our, our time to see Him is not some incredibly large distance away. Every believer in Christ ever since the day of Pentecost and ever since Jesus and the Apostle Paul began to speak about the coming of the Lord. Every, every generation 
since then has been hoping for the rapture. And believe me, it could have happened at any time. Paul believed the rapture would occur in his day because there's really nothing that needs to happen for that to happen. Now, for the second coming, the second coming Jesus physically to the earth, there are many things that have to happen before that occurs. But the rapture, not so. That could happen in a twinkling of an eye. There's going to be believers on the 405 freeway or 490 here in Rochester. They're going to be driving their car to work, per se, and they are going to vanish. And that car is going to be without a driver. <laughs> okay, And so there's going to be people, men, who are going to be operating forklifts and, and op operating cranes, putting stuff into place that are going to vanish. And there are going to be people in universities and classrooms that are going to vanish. And can you imagine the horror upon a world? They are going to freak out. They are going to freak out. And, and that is a perfect time for the man of sin to rise up and say, I know where these people went. We've been trying to push our agenda through, and then I'm, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically here. Uh, this is just a, a possibility, but I think it's probable, could happen. This man of sin coming and saying, I know where these people went. Our agenda, we've been trying so hard to bring peace on the earth. We've been trying to do our way to make this thing a global community where everybody, you know, kumbaya, everybody embraces each other. Everybody loves one another and we just kind of hold our hands. We are the world and we pop open our Coca-Cola and drink it, right? That, that He's going to be speaking along and everyone's going to be like, wow, this guy. He's so wonderful. And he's going to say, these people have actually been in the way of progress. Our progress has been stunted because of their, um, their fundamental, um, uh, biblical Jesus stuff. They've been getting in the way. And just like a dog would shake itself to flick the, 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 get the ticks off of its body, the earth is going to shake. And he's going to say, they are the ticks. They've been, they've been taken off the earth and now we can go forward with our agenda and the world will embrace this man and he's going to give them everything. And it's going to be fine for a little bit, for maybe three and a half years until he wants to be worshipped and then God is going to begin to open those seals as we're going to read about shortly. But I want to read to you, that there, there are plenty of places in the Bible, we'll just end with this, okay? We'll end with this. There's, there's much more to talk about. But we'll pick up here next week. This is Again, this is a critical part of Revelation before we go on because it will put everything in perspective. Throughout the Bible, there are types. A type is something that occurs in the Bible that kind of uh, gives you an understanding of the character of God, the way He does things. And there are many of these throughout the Bible when it comes to God's wrath being poured out. He always... Uh, it doesn't mean that his people don't go through horrible things. Sometimes they're even beheaded, right? I mean, uh, you know, Justin Martyr, and uh, you know, uh, there are so many martyrs in the in the in the church that have been that have died horrible deaths, and and the Lord allows these things from time to time. Not everybody is exempt from difficulty. Not everybody is exempted from persecution, even to death. But whenever a group of people, when he wants to, uh, when he's going to pour out his wrath, he always removes his remnant, his faithful. And we even see this in, um, in Genesis chapter 5. Remember that it's not until Genesis chapter 6 and 7 where God uh, allows the, 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 the global flood to occur, right? And remember that Noah and his seven other family members, a total of eight, they were preserved through this judgment that God had um, poured out upon the earth. He killed every living thing, every living thing that was on the earth, man, as far as, far as man is concerned, they all perished in the flood, except for eight people, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three, three wives. They live, but prior to God flooding the earth, it says something really interesting in Genesis chapter 5. It says that, uh, in fact, let me, um, let me just go there really quick because I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> Genesis chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 24. But notice uh, it says, it starts giving a, a lineage of, uh, of people from Adam. And it says that, um, and after he, uh, Enoch, lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Uh, this is a different Enoch. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Excuse me, that was right. He was, this is the right Enoch. 
long story. Anyway, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. He had long longevity. Um, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God took him. And literally, he didn't die. The Bible, if you look up the original language here in the Hebrew, it's just like that word that we looked at in Thessalonians where it says caught up. The Hebrew equivalent is right here. God literally snatched him up from off, from off the earth. He did not die, and God took him. And the reason I bring this up, and the reason why this is a good type, is because Enoch is a type of the church that before God would bring a global judgment of a flood, God removed Enoch. And God put that in the scripture to give us a type, to give us an idea, this is how I do things. <laughs> I really believe that. He does it also in Genesis 19 with Lot and, and removing Lot and his wife and his kids from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, trying to deliver most of them, and only Lot and his two daughters got out. But he removed this faithful remnant before God brought judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah raining hailstone and fire and consuming the place. The evidence of it is still there in Israel today. And, and so God removed his remnant before he brought judgment. And so we see it in the Genesis flood that God removed Enoch and then the global flood took place and, and, and Noah and his family in the ark is sort of like Israel going through the great tribulation period. There's a, there's a wonderful type here that even the 144,000, which we're going to talk about later in the book of Revelation, they are preserved even through the tribulation. These, these uh, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're going to be preserved through that time. So you see these wonderful types. And again, I end with this. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, and we'll end here, and we'll pick up here next week. This is a critical part of the scripture, revelation. This is something that you have to remember. The Bible says that for those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They shall. The world doesn't like a believer, and sometimes people do. You know, um, you know Christians ought to be the most loving, caring people. Sometimes we get a little excited, and sometimes, especially when we're young, we get a little bit forceful, and sometimes we can even get judgmental because of our, 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 uh, you know, our, our newness to the whole thing. And when we first get saved, we're so full of energy and so full of excitement. Sometimes we, we can do things the wrong way, and you know, God is not upset about that. He's, he's working. But um, my point in this whole thing is, is that... Um, God is he's in control. But 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says this, For God has not appointed us to wrath. And, and Paul is speaking to the church, including himself. For God has not appointed us, he includes himself, to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, before this rapture, or before this great tribulation occurs, which we're going to read about, in Revelation 6 through 19, as Jesus begins to unravel those, take those seals off of that scroll of judgment upon the earth, before that begins, God removes his remnant, just like he did with Enoch before the flood, just like he did with Lot and his family before the destruction. There are other examples. Those are just a couple. But, the, but understand that that's God's heart. God does not need to take his bride to purify her, she's already purified by His blood. And, and that's something that we have to understand. I cannot do enough good works in and of myself, apart from Christ, to merit me getting into heaven. It just doesn't work. For God, you know, what, what does it say? Uh, that our, 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 our good works, apart from Christ, are like filthy rags. And literally, menstrual cloths. That's what it means. That they are like filthy rags before God. That's what it means. So I cannot do anything of any good apart from Christ and somehow earn my favor with Him. No, by the blood of Christ, the Bible says that we are made white as snow by His blood. That's the way He sees us now that we are in Christ. And so therefore, you, Christian, you and I have been purified by the blood of Christ. There's no need for God to purify me again to cause me to go through the tribulation to maybe to account for my sin. 
No, sin was dealt once and for all on the cross. Isn't that true? Jesus died once and for all. He died once and for all. I don't need to go through a bunch of gyrations to earn, my, to earn favor with Him. We've already earned it because we are in Him. We believe in Him. And believe me, He is going to remove you before all hell breaks loose on this earth. And it's coming. It's coming, folks. And if you have your eyes open at all, you need to see it because it is coming like a freight train and we have to be prepared. And the best preparation is to give your heart to Christ. Will you give your heart to Christ today? Do not wait any longer. Do not think it's just going to get better. Yes, it'll, it'll even itself out, believe me. But there are things yet coming in the future, even before the rapture of the church, that are going to be difficult. And I pray that the Lord comes today. I pray that before I even speak my next word, <laughs> that the Lord would come, right? But here's the problem. We've got family, we've got friends, we've got people around us. And what, what does this information do to you? What does it do? How does it affect you? Because if I just take this in and I draw my graphs and I, and I go through and I have my scriptures, you know, that's all fine and good. But if it doesn't put me in a place where I'm, I'm actually going out and sharing the truth and the love of Christ, do you understand it's His love that draws men to repentance? I can't express that. That's what drew me to the Lord because of His goodness. And isn't that something that we ought to be proclaiming, shouting from the housetop? Isn't that something that we should be, uh, if you've got a Twitter account and a Facebook account, if you're going to say anything on any of those social media platforms, share the truth of the Word of God. Share the truth. Get that message out. That's all that matters at this time because everything else is going to burn. Everything else is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. But the things that will endure forever are the things that God does and what He does in you. And so it is important that we live the life, that we read the Word, that we get invigorated, that we ask God, Lord, unite us again, set us on fire again, revive us again, Lord. Do whatever you've got to do, Lord. Please cleanse and heal us from all of the stuff that we've entangled ourselves in. You know, pray. Pray, and if you don't know Jesus today, it is simple. You just simply ask Him to forgive you. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save my soul. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I know you're coming again, Lord. And you just bring it, Lord. Bring it. If that is your heart, then welcome to the family of God. Because that is the greatest thing that you could ever, the greatest decision you could ever make in the world more than anything else more than the mate that you that you married the woman or the man that you married more than the school that you went to the college that you went to school more than anything that is the greatest decision you will ever make because it's eternal folks we're talking about eternity not just a 70 80 90 maybe 100 years on this earth and then we're done no this is going to be go on if you're a christian you are going to be raptured I don't know about you, but that's good news. Read 1 Thessalonians 4 in its entirety again, and then read 1 Corinthians 15. Read it and be encouraged. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for um, just for your grace. Lord, please envelop us in your love. Lord, give us, uh, set your candle underneath us again, Lord, and motivate us. Motivate us to walk in purity and holiness with you, God. We know that we're sinners, but we also know that we've been saved by grace. And Lord, we also know that you're working in us. You're conforming us to the image of Christ moment by moment. So Father, have your way with us. And I pray for anyone here listening that has not made that decision, that they would make that decision right now, Father. Not even tomorrow, not even tonight, but right now. This is, a, this is between you and them alone. Nobody can see us. Nobody can, uh, there's not a room full of people, Lord. Do that work in the hearts of all of us and encourage us for those who do know you. Set us on fire again, God. Make us useful in your hand. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.